Love you so much. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Romans chapter 5. But it may be more helpful if you take out your sermon outline in your program. If you don't have one, put up your hand and Jim Westbrook will get one to you. It will just be simpler for you, I think, this morning if you follow along because our passage is like Ian on the drums. It is all over the place. And we come to Romans 5 in our study through the book of Romans, verses 12 through 21. Before I read the Scripture, and don't be overwhelmed by that first page, before I read the Scriptures, I just want to hold up this deck of cards and tell you that when I was in high school, uh, I ran with a group of guys who, before there were video games on Friday night, played Pinochle together. And uh, sometimes euchre. And, uh, and, and uh, one of the best parts about playing cards is when you have a trump card. Because if the suit happens to be spades and your opponent plays the ace of diamonds, you can even use the two of spades and trump him and win the trick. A trump card is like a wild card. And if you have one, you know you're gonna, this is a sure winner. You have that decisive advantage that will prevail over the others. And in this passage, we are taught that because of the condition, the desperate condition, the devil thinks he's going to have an easy time playing cards for our souls. And what the devil does is he takes out a card and he holds out your sin. But then God has a trump card and God lays down justification in Jesus Christ. So then the devil plays the death card and God plays his trump card. Boom! Eternal life. And then the devil thinks he has God. And he points out, he points to Adam, and he plays the Adam card. Because Adam is the father of the human race. And Adam has sinned, and all his descendants in him are corrupt with original sin and depraved in their hearts. And they will receive the same penalty of death as Adam. He plays the Adam card. And in our passage today, we learn that God has the best and greatest trump card of all. The second Adam, the one of whom Adam was a type, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. At the end of our passage, at the end, verse 21, we read, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a card he has to play for you and for me. For you see, really, folks, there's only two people at the table. All the others are eliminated. Adam and the second Adam, Jesus Christ. 
Last week, in the first part of chapter 5, we did, we just had a most glorious morning as we studied together the benefits that are ours because of our justification in Christ. In Christ we have, do you remember the list? Peace with God. Access to grace. The hope of glory in heaven. Endurance through suffering. And reconciliation with the holy God through our Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. What what a list of benefits. You read your insurance policy, right? You got a list of benefits. These are our benefits. But now Paul raises this question, how does all this happen? What is the basis or the ground of the benefits that flow to us? And in the last half of chapter 5, Paul shows us a deep, deep revelation of these two key figures in the history of redemption, Adam and Jesus. And we find that salvation is all about these two representatives. The theologians call them the federal heads of humanity. And we find that salvation is found through Jesus. Now, James Boyce, I told you on those first, that first half, he wrote ten sermons, and he wrote six sermons on this one passage. He says in his commentary, this is a difficult section of the letter. Then he says, possibly the most difficult section in the Bible. And then he says, but it is of utmost importance For here we get the framework for understanding the entirety of salvation. So, look at point one. Don't be overwhelmed by all the words. This is for those those of you who like to take these outlines home and and review and make sure you can trust what I'm saying. But, But sometimes Scripture passages actually are complex. Now, usually, John Bettler used to say to his students, leave your homework at home. Usually I do try not to bring my homework into the pulpit. But today, I want to get clear on how this text unfolds and explain these two key figures in the drama of redemption. So, it begins in verse 12, and this is the official scripture reading this morning. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned, Now, stop right there. You see the dot, dot, dot. In almost every translation, there's a dash. The ESV, the NASB, they all have a dash right there. Because what Paul gives us at the beginning of verse 12 is what, if you go back to 10th grade, to your English class where you diagram sentence, you have the condition of a conditional sentence. All that is to say, there is something has happened that is the condition of which, on which he wants to comment. And then you know what Paul does? He stops. And suddenly, to put it charitably, he digresses. Not once, but twice. Now, digression, that is a nice way of saying he runs off on a tangent. Now, that never happens to your preachers here. And he's so excited as he's going along. And so suddenly he digresses in verses 13 and 14 to explain and discuss the meaning of the verb sinned and the effects of death on history. It says, 
For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as, Adam, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Then, the next verse, verse 15, he shoots off in another direction. He digresses again to explain both the similarity and the dissimilarity between Adam and Christ. And this, this is a, a three verses of contrast. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, The gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And now, finally, at last, Paul returns and gives you the main clause in that conditional sentence, completing that statement left open in verse 12. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also, here it comes, the main point, The result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. And he explains it in verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. Oh, let me explain it in verse 20 and 21. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So far the reading of God's Word. And you can turn your outline over for my two-point sermon on the back of your sheet. Because point number two, this difficult passage boils down to these two truths. Death spread to all men because all sinned, all sinned in Adam. But point three, Christ's obedience trumps Adam's disobedience. He starts in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. You see, my friends, this passage is huge because it explains to us why we needed reconciliation with God and how that reconciliation came to pass. Why did there have to be reconciliation? Where does human sin come from? What is the root behind the, behind the, behind the, behind the, all the way back? What is the root? 
of this terrible debt and crimson stain that we sang about? And the answer is found in a man named Adam. Adam. And Paul pushes us back now to the first man in history, this, this man through whom sin, sin entered the world and death through sin. And in this way, through him, death came to all men. Why is the human race under condemnation and the wrath of God? It's Adam. I wonder who in this room has ever heard of the New England Primer. Anybody know what the New England Primer was? The New England Primer was the first grade, first reading book that they brought over to educate children in the alphabet in the United States in the uh, mid-1700s, 1780s. And, And what they did is they would have a picture and a word that starts with the letter of the alphabet. The first letter is A. And so you open your New England primer, and and it says, A, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. First word, first letter, A. First word you're going to learn that starts with A is Adam. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. Do they still use that in... Oyster Bay and Great Neck School District over there, you're teaching. Did that the first thing the children learn in our schools today? In Adam's fall, we sinned all? I think not. That's why you should bring your children to Awana. But the lesson is clear and crucial for every one of us to learn. For we learn here that God deals with the human race under a system known as federalism, a representative. And Adam is our representative, acting on behalf of the human race. And we are told here that he did not represent you very well. He did not represent the human race well. But instead, he disobeys God. And all of his descendants are born now with the inclination to sin And they all share in his guilt. And all will receive the same penalty he received, which is death. Oh, friends, you need to know this. In the Garden of Eden, the Westminster Confession tells us in his chapter on covenant, God made a covenant with Adam, a covenant of works. And in the midst of this beautiful garden, though it was graciously established and given, and though it was wonderful and sweet and pleasant, God said to Adam, Obey me and enjoy this creation. And of all the trees you may freely eat. Right? But of this one tree, this one over here, this one tree you may not eat. And the day in which you eat of it, you will surely, what's the next word? Die. He had it all, but he rebels against God, and he takes, and he eats, and he falls. In Adam's fall, we sinned all because, you see, he passes now this corrupt nature on to his descendants. Please understand, as a pastor, I 
I care deeply about the members of this flock. And there are times you find yourself in a mess. You sin. You, you know, and now you're experiencing the consequences of your sin. I, I guess I didn't really intend to do it, but I did. And now look at the mess I've created. And it doesn't take long in the pastor's office before I hear these words. I'm just human. And that, in, in the person's mind, explains why they did what they did. And then I have the unhappy task of saying, you know, we're not just human. We are fallen human beings. We are sinners. And sin complicates. Sin makes a mess. Let's talk about how we can get out of this mess. Let's, you know, and then we follow what through, and, and, and we see people move forward. But you can't just say, I'm, I'm human. I am fallen. I am fallen in Adam. And friends, to say that requires the most painful spiritual and psychological surgery on your own soul that you can do. I know it is so hard for me to admit it because I'm quick to excuse. I'm quick to shift the blame. I'm quick to just say, well, I'm just human. But we must all do that candid self-appraisal. That's a nice phrase. A candid self-appraisal that acknowledges not just the fruit sins in my lives, but the deep roots, the roots that run deep in my soul. And this is hard to do. (laughs) I, I, I don't usually like to quote from contemporary rock music because you guys know I'm not that hip. But I was watching Jimmy Fallon the other night, and the Jimmy Fallon show, the, he always closes the evening with, a, uh, with a, 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 a vocalist, a song group. And there was a group that he was featuring called 21 Pilots. wonder if anyone's ever heard of 21 Pilots. They have a number one song on the Billboard charts. And I mean the drums, the drums were bashing away, and the guitar was screeching. And the vocalist was tortured as he's singing, but he's singing away. He says, and I, <laughs> I can't understand words that are being sung in a lot of songs, so I always put the, the, the English words to come on the screen. And I'm reading the words as he's singing along. And he says, I got a really crazy mind to clean Mindless zombies walking all around with a limp and a hunch. Can you save, can you save my dirty, heavy soul? And then he starts talking about death. And he says, death inspires me like a dog inspires a rabbit. Can you save, can you save, can you save my heavy, dirty soul? He falls on the ground as he's singing this in anguish. And there's these, he says, these other people my age walking around, fools like zombies, saying, you only live once. It's what's in the words in the song. He says, they are mindless, they are foolish, they do not come to grips with death. And they cannot minister to my dirty, heavy soul, which is aching in my heart. Can you save my dirty, heavy soul? And I think I became a fan of 21 Pilots. (laughs) Me. 
for their good theology right out of Romans 5, you see? Because that's what this passage teaches us. It's what we call original sin. King David, I was born in sin. And I don't care how superior you are because I'm sure you're superior to me. You might be. But in Adam's fall, we sinned all. And it's bad news. But now the text, as I showed you, takes an interesting turn. And Paul's thoughts pour out. One commentator says, his thoughts pour out here like a torrential mountain stream as he lays before us the grand panorama of redemptive history. And Paul breaks off, excited in mid-thought, to, to talk. See, we don't know if Paul wrote out the book of Romans or if he dictated it. But it's at times like this, I think he probably dictated it. And you can see, not again that your preachers ever go off on tangent, but he just runs off and he starts thinking about sin and its effects in history. And he says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Hmm. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who sinning, was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. And this is why Boyce says, this is is really a, a difficult passage. What do you mean sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death is still reigning, and there's people whose sin is not counted like the transgression of Adam? Well, here's what he's saying, and I'll give you material if you want to study it on your own. When he's saying there is a time when sin is not counted, between Adam and Moses, he's talking about the Abrahamic covenant of grace. We just studied that when we went through uh, Romans 4, and, and we read about Abraham and this marvelous faith. His faith was counted to him as righteousness, the language of imputation, the, rank, the language of sin not being accounted, you see. And that's what's going on there. But the transgression of Adam was clearly a violation of a works principle, disobey and die. And there was no provision for forgiveness inside the Garden of Eden that day for Adam, you see. And then Moses comes. And while there's still the ongoing covenant of grace underneath, a works principle is reintroduced when Moses brings the law and Israel is told, Clearly in Leviticus 26, clearly in Deuteronomy 29 and 30, clearly told, obey and live, prosper. The rain will fall, your crops will bloom, and you will be at rest and peace. Obey and live, but disobey, Israel. Disobey, and the land will vomit you out, and judgment will fall. So the transgression of it, of Israel is like the transgression, you see, of Adam. And, and the law is given to increase sin. But in his musings, he says, death still reigns. You and I will die. Look, we have many blessings in this life. We are a blessed people, North Shore Community Church. We should never take any of our blessings For granted, we have lives to live that are full. We have homes to make. We have relationships to enjoy. We have food to eat. 
But in the end, we will all die. In fact, in this room, all of us right now, we are dying right now. The Bible says the outer man is wasting away. Don't kid yourself. It's okay to buy makeup. It's probably okay to have cosmetic surgery. I don't care. But you're still dying, and your outer man is still wasting away. Martin Lloyd-Jones says the earth is filled with cemeteries. And he is right. It all ends in death. You know, what's the old saying? The only things you can count on are what? Death and taxes. Well, we, have some, we know some pretty good accountants. I hope you have a good accountant. I hope your accountant can find you all the loopholes you need before April 15th. Take advantage of them. Nothing wrong with that. Maybe even some of you don't pay any taxes. But no accountant has a loophole for death. We all will die. Why? Because I'm a sinner. Listen, you are all wonderful people. I do, I, you know, I pray for every person in this room. I have a schedule. I pray. For, I love you. It is such a privilege and a blessing to know you. Really. But did anyone ever need to teach you to be selfish? Did anyone ever need to teach you to lie or to deceive or to become arrogant or sinfully angry? Nobody needed to teach you those things. Why? Because they are in the condition of your flesh inherited from Adam. And so in Adam's fall, we sinned all. But now, verses 15 through 17, the mountain stream is splashing. And Paul digresses again and we move to point number three. For he begins now to race in his mind to another person besides Adam, of whom Adam is a type. Who is this? And I don't know. This is preacher's conjecture here. But I can see if Paul is dictating this. Suddenly he stands up and his eyes are closed and his, his, his arms are waving and he's under the influence of the Holy Spirit giving Scripture, breathing out. And, and he just begins to compare and contrast the two atoms. And what do we hear? The, the, the list is, is, is all mixed together as he's talking, but the trespass brought death. Adam's sin had disastrous consequences, but there's a free gift, the grace of God that comes through the one man, Jesus Christ, and it abounds, he says, for many. The sin of Adam, he uses a specific word, brought condemnation But the free gift of Jesus Christ brings justification. Death reigned through the one man. But those who receive the abundance of grace receive righteousness and they reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Do you see? 
Christ's obedience trumps Adam's disobedience. And he finishes this digression. And here John Calvin says in his comments on Romans 5, the curse of Adam is overturned by the grace of Christ and the life which Christ bestows swallows up death which came from Adam. So now we get to the conclusion of where he started in verse 12 and he says in the middle of verse 18, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And there is another federal head, another player at the table. Who is he? Whose act of righteousness brings life? Is it someone in this room? Is there anyone here whose acts of righteousness can bring life? Because I know there's a rock group, 21 pilots, that wants to meet you. Who can say, or is someone here who says, yes, why quite, I'm, I'm quite a good fellow. Better than those other kids in my class at school and more righteous than those other people at work that I work with. Are you able to save my heavy, dirty soul? Come on, I want to meet you. But I won't meet you because there is no one but Jesus. Friends, this is why Martin and I always say this quote. You hear it every other week, every third week from the pulpit. How often are they going to say this? That Jesus Christ came to live the life we should have lived. And Jesus Christ died the death that we deserve to die. And Jesus Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves. What does your church teach? What does your church believe? That's what your church believes. Somebody says, you and that Presbyterian church over there, that's what you believe. He lived the life you should have lived and he died the death you deserved to die and he did for you what you could not do for yourselves. It's by grace, a free gift. Oh, sin increased, yes, but grace abounded all the more. All right, I'm more used, you're more used to hearing me quote John Wesley than 21 Pilots. But John Wesley was the 21 Pilots of his day. And he said, long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. God just looked and sent the light of his countenance upon me. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. This is the gospel. We are all doomed to die in Adam, and so you must know there is a second Adam. His name is Jesus, and he came to do for you what you could not do for yourselves. Calvin in his comments, listen to this. On, it's in your bulletin. It's in the, in the reflection that you can take home. Calvin says, Sin may be a river 
but grace is an ocean. Sin may be a mountain, but grace is like Noah's flood, which prevailed over the top of the mountains by 15 cubits high. Grace trumps sin. Christ trumps death. And if you're here today and you say, well, thanks but no thanks. I think I'll just keep the law. I'll be a good man. I'll be a fine woman. Paul tells us in this passage, oh, why was the law given? The law was given to increase trespass. And if you are just congratulating yourself on your moral performance over and above the rest of the kids in your class or the people at work or the other people in your family, presenting yourself as morally able and superior, I tell you the law was given to only expose your trespass even more, and so it will be exposed. We instead humble ourselves on our faces, renouncing our own self-salvation and looking to Jesus Christ in Christ alone, in Christ alone. Have you done that? I hope that you have. The gospel, it is a door through which you walk unto salvation. But the gospel is not just a door through which you walk to salvation. It is a pathway on which you walk every day of your life your trust in Christ was not 20 years ago at a Billy Graham crusade or last year when John Yenchko invited you to receive Christ. It's not just that doorway. If you've never walked through the doorway today, come through. Trust in him alone. But for those of you who have been through the doorway into the kingdom and into the family, now this gospel is your gospel for every day. Trust him. Walk with him. Invite him to go into the deep places of your heart and clean you and renew you and love you because the grace where sin is, you say, I've sinned, don't worry. Grace abounds, he says. Superabundant is the best translation. Superabundant all the more. Let's come to him now. Let's join our hearts in prayer. Let us celebrate this one this second Adam who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are humbled by this complex passage of Scripture, but even more, we are humbled by its message. And we know in our heart of hearts it is true. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. And how we thank you for that other one, better, more righteous, more perfect than Adam. And that he plays that card, my righteousness, imputed and infused in them, my life, giving them life, and my death, taking away the sting of their death. Oh, Jesus, how we thank you. I pray for anyone here and we join our hearts. We pray for anyone here who says, you know, this is the first time I understood the depth of my iniquity. And would you open their eyes to see how beautiful is the grace of Christ, how abundant, 
They say, you don't know what I've done. We say, grace is greater. Would you just say, Lord, I'm trusting you for my salvation. And as I walk Monday through Saturday, I'm trusting you. I trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.